0: Well, our text this morning is from Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, uh, verses thirty-one through thirty-four. I believe that can be found on page number twelve hundred and twenty-seven of your pew Bibles. Again, that's Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, verses thirty-one through thirty-four. Hear the word of the Lord. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness. That will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. So if you um, met someone who recently converted to Christianity, it, it may very well be that they would describe what happened: as I was saved. Um, one of the great hopes of those who become Christians is then for others to be. Uh, Christian parents, we long for the salvation of our children when they receive uh, the promises of God in baptism. It's such a meaningful moment because we know uh, how important it is for them to embrace those promises one day themselves so that they might be saved. This is the reason we send missionaries out to evangelize. Uh, We do good works to please God out of grateful obedience uh, to everything that He's done for us uh, to save us so that we might uh, make the gospel sweet and pleasing uh, to other people, that they would see our good works and give glory to our Father in Heaven so that they might be saved. But what do we mean when we say salvation? What What does that mean? Just broadly speaking, when we talk about salvation, we we mean that somebody is in danger. There's there's some kind of peril that they're in. And and if someone doesn't come and act on their behalf, that they will be destroyed. And so they need to be saved. If someone doesn't act on their behalf, something terrible is going to happen. And so in Christian terms... The peril that is facing every human being on this planet is sin. Yes, there are many starving people in this world. There are many people who are oppressed in this world. And those are very real threats. But the most danger that every human on this planet faces is the danger that surrounds them because of sin. The Apostle Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. So those who are starving and oppressed, they face suffering that's temporal, this this side of heaven. But as Christians, we must be most concerned with the suffering that people will experience for eternity if they are not saved from their sins. So what is sin? Wayne Grudem, he's a systematic theologian, defines it this way. He says, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. So sin is a failure of action where we just simply do not do what God commands. It's also a failure of attitude because we as sinners sometimes don't even want to do what God commands. We're so warped and twisted in our sin that we would rather do what we want to do than do what a good and loving and gracious God says is the very best thing for us to do. But it's also uh, a breakdown of our nature. Because sinners... uh, It's just what we are. Our problem with sin is that deep. Now, the entire storyline of the Old Testament, I'm going to sum it up for you real quick, is is meant to convince us of two things. The first thing that the Old Testament is meant to convince us of is that we are sinners, just like the people that we read about in the Old Testament. We should read through those stories and think, be thinking to ourselves, huh, I'm just like that. Wow. And the second thing the Old Testament is meant to convince us of is that God promises that He will save His people from their sins. In fact, if you're reading through the Old Testament and you finish at Malachi and you turn the page to Matthew chapter 1, The the very first thing, well not the very first thing, but one of the first things you're going to read in Matthew chapter 1 is that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Right? So, what does any of this have to do with the passage from Jeremiah that we read this morning? Well, the passage that we read is from the prophet Jeremiah. It's a summary of God's last major promise that he leaves the people. Testament. Uh, You can find the promise in other places in the book of Jeremiah. It's found in Ezekiel. It's found in the minor prophets. Uh, But Jeremiah chapter 31 is a beautiful summary of this wonderful promise that God leaves his people with at the end of the Old Testament. And it takes those two things, right? The fact that we're all sinners and that we're just like the people that we read about in the Old Testament, and that God promises to save us from our sins. And it just kind of shows us, hey, this is what it looks like. To be saved from your sin.
1: And so we're going to meditate on that
0: briefly this morning. And we're going to to consider, what does it mean? What does it mean to be saved from our sin? So I have two points this morning. first point is, sin is actually worse than we think. And then point number two, the solution is more radical than we think. So point number one, sin is worse than we think. So we'll read the first half of that passage again. Um, Incidentally, mine is all in the ESV, um, so I have it up on the screen. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So toward the end of the Old Testament storyline, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says to the people, look, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. This covenant is going to be different than the old covenant that I made with you, because you broke that covenant. Okay, I'm going to to make a new covenant with you. Now, incidentally, for those of you who may be interested, a covenant is just simply a relationship that's built on promises. That's all it is. It would be like a marriage. Two people promise to relate to each other, and the foundation of the relationship is those promises. And so God's saying, look, I made a covenant with you of promises. I promised certain things and then you, in return, promised certain things, and you didn't keep your side of the promise. So I need to make a new covenant with you. Remember, I said the storyline of the Old Testament is meant to show us that we are sinners, just like the people we read about in the Old Testament. And one of the main ways that God uses to us that we're sinners is when we see God make these promises with the people of Israel and then they break them and then we think to ourselves, oh man, I'm no different. Those those broken promises seem very familiar to me in my own life. Now God always keeps his promises but the people don't keep their promises which is why they needed a new covenant. He rescues them out of slavery. After saving them, he gives them his law and tells them this is what it looks like to live in a relationship with me. Do this and you will live. Well, the people don't do it. And so he's so patient with them because he's God. And he extends offer after offer after offer for them to turn from their sin. He rescues them from the problems that they create from their sin, makes more promises to them, and they just don't do it. Why? Because in their actions and their attitude and their nature. They are just bent on disobeying God's law. They can't do it. Their sin has them in so much danger and so much peril that they need to be rescued from it. Recently, I got coffee with a friend of mine. And he had this uh, experience that all the parents of young children hope they'll have. And uh, he was with his son And, and uh, putting him to bed His son's nine years old And his son just asked him Hey dad What do I have to do to go to heaven? And I was like Oh man, I would long for my son To ask me that question and, uh, and so my friend Answered brilliantly He said to him Well son, that's simple you have to be perfect. And the son let it sink in for a second, and then he said to his son, Are you perfect, son? And he's like, No. No, I'm not perfect. And in many ways, that was, that was the point of the first covenant that God made with the people in the Old Testament. It was to show them that they're not perfect. To show them that there's absolutely no possibility they could ever be good enough to earn on their own a place in heaven, that they needed a new covenant. It reminds me of the story in the Gospels where this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says to him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, you know the commandments, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. And he's like, Huh, Yeah, I've kept all those my whole life. Jesus says, Good, one more thing. Go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. And then we're told that the rich young ruler he walks away sad because he had great wealth and many possessions. You see that first covenant, what it did was it showed how high the standard is of what it requires to have a relationship with God. God is perfect. God is holy. No one can come into his presence and have a relationship with him unless they are also perfect and holy. The Old Testament is a story of how no one ever did or even could live up to that standard. And even when God forgave them, rescued them, made more promises, they still failed. They still couldn't do it. What do we have to do to go to heaven? We also have to be perfect, which is why they and us need to be saved. Right? We need a new covenant, which takes us to our second point. The solution is more radical than we think. Okay, so God's standard is perfection. Okay. Then there's two options. He can either lower his standard if he wants to save a bunch of sinners like us, right? Or he can cause us to meet the standard. Wait a minute. Listen, let me unpack this, okay? I wonder if sometimes the Christianity that we practice is actually some version of option number one. And it goes like this. I am a sinner because I failed to be perfect as God requires, but whew, thankfully Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. So now I try to be good, but hey, I'm still a sinner. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. See, that would be like a married man with a gambling problem. Imagine he comes to you and tells you, I'm in thousands and thousands of dollars in debt because of my gambling problem. I haven't paid my mortgage in a year, Uh, my power is about to get shut off in my home, I have no relationship with my wife and kids anymore because I spend every weekend at the casino. So you say to them, okay, I'll pay your debt. I'll take care of your gambling problem that you have created, all the problems that have been created because of your gambling. Um, You just have to promise not to go to the casino anymore Not to, not to do that And, and stay with your, your family On the weekends And he says, oh yeah, of course, I'll do that No problem So you pull out your credit card And you and you pay his debt And you, you get him back to, back to zero What's the problem That all of us just intuitively know In that situation He's got a gambling problem, right? It's like he, you just know That this is not the end of it You, you know that he needs more than to just have his debt paid off. See, I think many times, if we're honest with ourselves, we treat Christianity and Jesus like he's got a credit card. And hey, we go, we rack up our gambling debt throughout the week, come back, and every Sunday there's Jesus with with the credit card ready to pay off our sin debt for us again. See, not only does a man with a gambling problem like that need his debts paid, he needs to change. He needs to be transformed. If he's going to be saved from his gambling problem, he needs his debts paid and he needs his life completely, radically transformed. He needs to be saved not only from the consequences of his problem, but from the problem itself. So, with that in mind, let's listen to the second half of this passage again. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So that last verse talks about forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness is an essential, massive part of the new covenant promise. Every single one of us in this room fails to live up to God's standard. We have a debt that we cannot pay. But the problem is much deeper than just our debt because of our sin. See, some here this morning, and I don't know this congregation as as well, I know know some of you, but just because I know the heart of man, generally speaking, I I imagine there's some here today who don't really know God. And and maybe you don't want to know Him. And maybe you are just content to be told about Him by other people. And it sort of feels like you know Him because the Sunday school teacher and um, teacher at RC or um, your spouse, your parents tell you about God. Maybe the pastor tells you about Him on Sunday mornings. But, but, but if you're being honest, you don't really know Him. And see, this new covenant. God, God tells us, I'm not going to be content for my people to just be told about me anymore. No, I'm going I'm to cause them to know me. They're, they're going to know me. God is going to move into our hearts in the new covenant. It's going to be like He's right there with you. He's going to be your God and you're going to be His person. everything, those sins, those besetting sins that you struggle with, He is going to be the one whom you intimately deal with about that sin. And His love will woo you to put it away. Remember, I said God has two options. He can either lower the standard or He can cause His people to meet the standard. Listen to what Jeremiah says again. He says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. That's him saying, I will cause my people to meet the standard." If you don't believe me, this is what Ezekiel says. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, this is what it means to be saved from your sins. This is it. This is what it's like when Jesus saves you. He gives us a new heart. We long to obey His law because it is written there. We've been washed. We've been forgiven of all of our sin. And He's our God. He moves into our hearts, He fills our minds and our thoughts so much so that we can truly say we know Him. This is New Covenant salvation. Remember the definition we started with today of sin? Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God and attitude and nature. If you, if you look at the new covenant promise, it undoes all of this, right? God promises that we'll have a new heart, so we really know Him, giving us a new nature. He writes His law in our hearts, giving us a new attitude. He puts His Spirit in us and causes us to walk according to His ways. He saves us from our sin in act, attitude, and nature. And notice, we do nothing. He does it all. He forgives. He puts. He writes. He causes This is what it means to be saved. This, friends, is salvation. So what do we do? Well, my friend, when he was talking to his son that night, he, uh, after his son admitted that he wasn't perfect, he said to him, well, Jesus is perfect. And Jesus died. To pay the penalty for all of your sin, and all that he needs to do, all you need to do, son, is trust in Jesus' righteousness every day for the rest of your life, and you will go to heaven. So he asked the son, "Do you trust in Jesus?" He said, "Yes, I do." You see, this causing us to obey his commands. This is a lifelong process, right? Uh, John Newton has a quote, and if I I, I, I would have put it on the screen, but it goes something like this. He says something like, um, "I'm not yet what I should be, but I'm no longer what I was." No longer what else. That is what a new covenant Christian can say. That is what it looks like to trust Jesus every day. See, Jesus is the author of the new covenant. He poured out his blood on the cross for sinners. And when you trust in Jesus, says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you become a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when that happens, we see our sin is heinous, evil. Our failure to conform to God's moral law and act, attitude, and nature becomes so disgusting to us that we just long every day to be forgiven again and to walk with him humbly, to read his word we see that for God to be holy and righteous, those sins had to be punished, but then we see that God was so full of love for sinners that he was willing to take that punishment himself so I want to ask you this morning Have you experienced this new covenant reality? Or I wonder if maybe you're like the rich young ruler and there's something in your life that you're unwilling to let go of so you can receive God's promise of forgiveness and a new heart. And the call of the new covenant is to stop trusting in that And do trust in Jesus instead. To repent and to be forgiven. To know him. To love his law. Because it's written on your heart. You see, God never lowered the standard. He became a human himself. And he met the standard perfectly in our place. So that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Not only has the standard met perfectly in Christ's righteousness, but they're given the Spirit of God to slowly, throughout this life, more and more, meet that standard on their own in all all actuality. That's what the writer of the Hebrews means when he says, Strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And now we simply look to Jesus Trust in His righteousness to cover all of our sin. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we acknowledge every single one of us in this room, God, is a sinner. We have... Fallen short. And on our own, apart from Christ, God, we are in grave danger and much peril. And the solution to that problem is simply to turn to you, receive your promises of forgiveness and transformation, and to follow Jesus, trusting Him every day for the rest of our life, God. And if we Repent of our sins and turn to you in faith, God. These promises are ours. What a wonderful thing that is, God. To know that your grace truly saves us from our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.